0: if you would I'd be lying if I said I know where to go right now but Mm -hmm. I don't but I guess we're gonna move in and the Lord the Lord can change gears you can hang there for a few more minutes I don't mind at all somebody's gonna break out singing and I'm just gonna stop and sit down and cry some more Um, all right Let me teach us a little bit from Acts, and then we'll see what the Lord wants to do. We're going to wrap up this look, this talking about the power of Pentecost. We began this on Pentecost Sunday. What is the what does Pentecost empower us to do? I want to, I want to think this through. I don't want to just study it. I want to I want to experience it. I want to live it out. I don't want Pentecost just to be another like check mark on my theology. I want it to be the living reality that defines who I am and how I live life. I want the power of Pentecost. I want the power to speak boldly. I'm not a bold person in in nature, naturally speaking out on the street. I want that boldness to communicate the reality of the risen Lord. I want the power to share, to invest, to give myself to you more and more and not be as self-centered as I really am. I want the power to not consider anything that's mine to be mine, but to be yours you know, and to be in true community and in true fellowship. I want that. I want the power to heal. I do. I want the power to do miracles. I want you to have that same power to be conduits, to be channels of supernatural miracles to the world around us. And now this week, heaviest one of all, I want the power to suffer. Or more accurately, I want the power to endure suffering and would I love not to have to land here you bet I would wouldn't it be great just to end last week that was it that was the, the, the ultimate thing the power to heal and all the signs and wonders but no I can't because the Lord said no this is part of it too you want the power of Pentecost this comes with it you want the power to be up on the mountain then you also have to be have the power to be in the valley and to, to sustain and endure in the difficult places of suffering for my name and I don't know I just I prayed this just Thirty seconds ago. I don't know what it's like to suffer. I don't know what it's like to be persecuted for my faith. I may come. It's not yet. Maybe it's getting closer. I don't know. But I want the power to endure for the sake of the gospel. So let's look at this together. I, you know, I've got these handwritten notes. And I can barely read them. It's it's bad. So and my eyes are bad. So we're gonna get through this together. We're, we're in um, we're in Acts chapter four. We're gonna look at like read a few of the narrative parts of this because this proves to you that suffering is part of Pentecost you want to have boldness you want to have miracles you want to have growing church then you also need to have this with it it's enduring persecution and suffering because this is part and parcel of the kingdom it's not the exception it's just it's part of it as well so let's read in Acts chapter 4 verse uh, Beginning in verse, verse one through four, maybe these are behind us, we'll see, but just, you can listen. If you don't have it, there's some Bibles there, but if you wanna just listen to this as well. Um, Acts four, one through four. Megan, would you grab me a tissue there from somewhere? I, I see the vague shape of one. I'm assuming those are boxes. Of, oh, thanks, here, I got one here. Thank you. All right, Acts four, beginning in verse one. The priest in the temple and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed, Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Listen to this. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Anybody been in jail overnight? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. I never have. I doubt I would enjoy it. I love my bed. They seized them and put them in jail until the next day. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed... And the number of men grew to about 5,000. That but, that's a connecting word. Those things are meant to sort of connect it together. Despite the persecution, the numbers keep growing. All right, jump to chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Jealousy is like, it's it's the number one descriptor of, of these religious spirits. Jealous of the real power, jealous of the real work of God. They arrested the apostles and put them in, a public, in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. It's getting better. I love it. First of all, they just had to endure. Now the angel of God is bringing them out, saying, oh, no, we're not going to do this again. we got work to do. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. So he doesn't say, the angel doesn't say, okay, go back and rest and recover. Go lick your wounds. He says, nope. Go straight back to the temple, keep on preaching, keep on proclaiming the full message of this. And skip down chapter 5, beginning at, at go to verse 40. Um, so Peter then, again, preaching, again, you know, proclaiming the kingdom, again, getting flack. Um, they, call, they call him in before the, 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 the leaders, the, the Sanhedrin, questioned by the high priest. And then Peter gives this other message, sort of defending himself. Look at what it says here. Um, and then this, uh, a little bit more to that back story. One of, one of the leaders, Gamaliel, stands up and says, guys, look, let's just back up from this. If this is not of God, it's going to go away. If it is of God, you really don't want to stand in the way of it. That's some pretty wise words. And they kind of listened to him, you know, because it says this. His speech, Gamaliel's speech, persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Well, that wasn't part of the deal. we are supposed to let them go. Well, they, they were, okay, we're not going to arrest them. We're at least going to flog you. So they've been flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And finally, flip over to Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Uh, On that day, this is after the stoning of Stephen when he is executed. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. That's just the first seven or eight chapters of Acts. Suffering is a necessary and good part of kingdom expansion. If we want to see the kingdom expanding, it's necessary and good that suffering and persecution be a part of it. In fact, they're connected together. Suffering causes, the, in, the, in these chapters here, suffering causes the expansion. Notice what it says here in 8. It says, persecution broke out, All, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Right now, it's been localized in Jerusalem. It's a small movement. They could contain it. But look what happens when, you know, when you strike the burning embers, all the coals are scattered out everywhere. And all of a sudden, it's uncontainable. It's unquenchable. And all over over the region, the kingdom is being spread because of the persecution. In hindsight, these, these religious leaders are probably thinking, okay, you know, we probably should not have done that. Now it's too late. Now it's a wildfire. Now it's catching on. Suffering is a necessary and good part of kingdom expansion. Jesus says this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anybody want the kingdom of heaven? I do. I want that. This is one one of the routes to get to the kingdom. Is to suffer persecution for righteousness sake. Suffering for righteousness sake. In Timothy, Paul writes in Timothy, he says... All who desire to live a godly life, it's me, I desire it, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Let me give you some stats. I looked these up earlier this week. Persecution and church growth. These are current stats from 2018 2019. They're not up on the screen. I didn't get a chance to put them up. This is worldwide. One in nine Christians experienced high levels of persecution. And by high levels of persecution, we mean, you know, violence against your family and yourself and bodily harm and prison and these kind of things as well. Not not somebody snickering at you at work because you're praying over your meal. That's really not a high level of persecution. Does it embarrass you a little bit? Yes, but that's not what we're talking about. One in nine, one in nine, more than 10% experience high levels of persecution around the world. Last year, 4,000, over 4,000 Christians were killed explicitly because of their faith, in response to their faith. 2,625 were imprisoned without trial because of their faith. 1,200 churches were attacked or burned down. Listen to this statistic. And these are, you know, this is our best, at our best guess, we would say around 70 million Christians have been martyred in church history. So from this period that we just read about, you know, 40, 50, 60 AD, up until 2019, roughly 70 million have been martyred because of their faith. That's not the most astonishing thing. Here's the most astonishing figure. Half of those have been in the last 120 years. Half of all martyrs in Christian history have been killed in the last century plus 20 years. That's astonishing. We are living in a persecution era. Every month, 345 Christians are killed, 108 churches attacked, 219 are detained without trial. Let me give you this list. This is the watch list of the 10 most, um, the most dangerous places to be a Christian. North Korea is number one. Afghanistan is number two. Anybody been to some of these places? Raise your hand if you've been to some of these. Somalia, number three. Libya, number four. Pakistan, number five. Sudan, number six. Anybody been to these? I can't see if there's a raising hand. I'll just trust you out (laughs) there. Number seven, Eritrea. Number eight, Yemen. Number nine, Iran. Number 10, India. So I read these lists. I want you to guess also, here's another statistic, which country in the world is leading the way in church growth, not in terms of dollars spent, not in terms of numbers planted, but in terms of actual conversions to the faith. Anybody want to guess which country is leading the way in that? No, Iran, number nine. 20% rise in the Christian population in Iran. 20% in the last year alone. 70% of Iran has rejected Islam. 70%. And I can give you the stats. I can tell you where this came from. And I double-checked it two or three different places. 70% of, of Iranians are rejecting Islam. Why? Because of the violence, because of the failure to really sustain any kind of infrastructure and any kind of you know, way of life. It's not a religion of peace. It's a destructive religion of death. And they're turning in droves to the Christian faith. There have been more Christian conversions in the last 20 years in Iran than in the previous 13 centuries since Islam arrived. The ninth most, most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian is leading the way in terms of converting Christians. You tell me there's not a connection between those two things. Persecution is a good and necessary part of kingdom expansion. Let me just give you five things that I think persecution and suffering help us do. This is like a real, maybe just a quick snapshot theology of suffering if we can do this. Number one, suffering allows us to know God deeply. I wish I could know God deeply without it, but there's something about suffering that allows us to know him deeply. There's a Chinese Christian who spent 23 years in a cell. 23 years. 23 years. In a cell living in a cell and he gets out he's talking later on to some western christians he says you know there's a verse that says be still and know that i am god that i was given a cell and that cell helped me understand and live out the reality of that verse he says you in the west you need to build yourself some cells Suffering allows us to know God deeply. And Jesus makes it clear, especially as you kind of read through the Gospels, that if we want to identify with Him at His fullest, it's going to be to identify with Him in the road to the cross, in dying to ourselves, and coming alive again. Suffering allows us to know God deeply. It also Breeds compassion for others. The Bible says that we are one body, and that when one suffers, we all suffer. I had strep throat a couple weeks ago. I'm good. I'm fine. I only finished up my antibiotics, and that first day, my body hurt from head to toe, like every single part of me was just aching. And I went to the doctor, and I was trying to, I was, and I couldn't understand. You know, I was like, why if I have a strep infection here in my throat, which I guess is where it is, because they jam that thing down your throat and like scrape it all up and you're trying not to gag. And oh, you've got strep. Well, great. Okay. Why does my entire body hurt? Just because something is going on here. I think it's, I, I don't know. I think it's because God has made it that way. When one part of the body suffers, everything suffers. And when you are going through something difficult, whether it's true persecution or whether it's just suffering because of life, it really does, if you are part of the body, it really does impact all of us. We all carry the weight of it as well. Suffering, when you are, when you are walking under the weight of suffering and persecution, it breeds compassion for others. I have a whole lot more sympathy for you because I've been through it as well. In fact, the word sympathy, you know where the word sympathy comes from. It's a Greek word. We talked about this two weeks ago. Sim or sum means with. Pathos means compassion. Having compassion with or suffering with. Sympathy means to suffer with. So if you have sympathy for someone, that's 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 exactly what you do. You're joining with them in what they're going through. Hebrews 13 says this. He says, remember those in prison as though you are in prison with them. Do I do this? Do I stop and like think about people that are in prison? Do I stop and think about my brothers and sisters around the world, and do I grieve with them as if I'm right there with them? As I don't. No, I'm too concerned. I, I'm too concerned about what I want to eat or what's on Netflix or something else. You know, I need to pay attention to this. Hebrews 13. Remember those in prison, as though you are in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Suffering breeds, breeds compassion for others. Suffering also helps us to maintain perspective. Suffering helps maintain perspective. I heard about this condition. I don't know what it's called. Those of you that are medical people can tell me, but it's essentially a condition where your body has no pain receptors. You can't feel things. You know, I know that's true if you're paralyzed, you don't have pain receptors, but there's other kind of conditions as well where the the feelings and things in your hands just don't work. And they say that one of the biggest problems that that they run into is that um, a body will get a scrape or an infection or a burn and just never know. You don't feel it. You know, it's just and infection begins to set in or something else and just next thing you know, you just your arm has to be amputated or whatever because you just simply didn't know. Suffering helps us maintain, the point of suffering, it's like, it's like our pain receptors. It really helps us maintain perspective on what's really happening in the world, what's happening with us, what's happening in the kingdom. Let me read 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in, in, in verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay To show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. What is the treasure? Treasure is the kingdom. The treasure is a presence. It's it's the Spirit of God. What's the jar of clay? No, it's not the 90s CCM band. What's the jar of clay? This, this is right here. This is a jar of clay. Not an especially great one, not an especially strong one, you know? This isn't iron. This isn't like titanium. This is clay. This is fragile and frail and broken. This wakes up hurting some days. This is like lazy and tired. But it says we have this treasure. Brad, you have the treasure of the kingdom, the treasure of the presence in your jar of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. That's a cool thing is that we have have this all-surpassing power. I have it. I have all-surpassing power inside of me. So do you. You do. There is more power inside of me than in all the armies on earth. Any Christian has more power inside of him than all the armies on earth. To show that this power, all-surpassing power, is from God and not from us. Listen to verse 8. We are hard-pressed. This is the perspective shift. All right? We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. It feels like we're crushed. Nope. Have proper perspective. You're not crushed, but you are being hard-pressed. It is difficult, it is weighing down on you, but you're not crushed yet. It says, we are perplexed, yep, but you're not in despair. Nope, have the right perspective. You're not in despair. You might be confused as to why things are happening, but you're not in despair. You're persecuted, yes, but you're not abandoned. You are struck down, that's right, you get knocked down, but you are not destroyed, It's okay to admit these things over here. It's okay to admit the difficult things that are happening to us. But suffering gives us this clear perspective that says, yes, these are true, but this is not true. I am not abandoned. I am not rejected. I am not torn down. Victory is on its way, Brian. It is. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We carry around the suffering of Jesus so that the glorification of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Suffering helps maintain perspective. Number four, suffering builds godly character. Oh man, I I, I hated when my dad would say this to me. Builds character. Whatever he wanted me to do, whatever it was, it would build character. You know, carrying logs, builds character. Cleaning up my room, builds character. Going to bed early. Builds character. Whatever it is, it builds character. I'm just so tired of it. I don't want any more character. (laughs) Now I'm saying it to my kids. But suffering does build character. Look at what it says in Romans. In Romans 5 says this. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also say this rejoice in our sufferings. Suffering. We do this. This is crazy. The world doesn't do this. Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character character hope I didn't believe any of this until I started to exercise it is dead true if you don't believe it start exercising because what you realize is that in the right way the more that you hurt this is building up those sorry weak flabby muscles it's gonna hurt a little bit you're gonna be tired you're gonna have lactic acid in there your muscles are gonna be torn down before they can be built back up together Suffering produces character. James says the same thing. James says, testing produces perseverance. And here's the cool thing about godly character godly character overcomes. And overcoming is better than deliverance. We want to be delivered by everything. We do. Lord, deliver me from this. Lord, deliver me from this. Lord, deliver me from this. I get it. Jesus says it delivers from evil, it's in the prayer. But sometimes the Lord says, I'm not going to deliver. You overcome. And that's what suffering helps us do, is it builds us the character. And Romans, Romans says this as well. Romans says this in 12. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome. That's an active word. That's something that we need to do. We can't just sit there and say, oh, Lord, help me. Help me, help me, help me, help me. The Lord says, get up, walk. Be a mighty man of God. Be a mighty woman of God. Overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. And suffering produces the character that overcomes. We often pray for deliverance, yet we should also be praying to be overcomers. Suffering produces godly character. Finally, the suffering gives birth to great power. Suffering and the weakness that it brings gives birth to great power. We could talk about fasting for a while in this, we won't, that's another lesson later on for the fall. But if any of you, I know many of you could testify that the power that fasting gives to you, when you fast, when you deny yourself, your body is physically, the thing about fasting is you're not hungry, really. I mean, you kind of are, but it's less about being hungry, it's more about being weak and just tired and sluggish and just you know, like just wanting to just lay down all the time. But there's incredible power that comes along with this. Paul writes in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 10, he says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Paul's talking about all the great stuff that he has to offer the church. Surpassingly great revelations. Chuck, have I ever had any surpassingly great revelations? Not one. All the time. <laughs> to keep me from being conceited. Because of these, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Again, deliverance. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults, I delight in these things, he says. I'm so excited about them. Hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the upside down kingdom. I don't get it. But it's true. It's a reality. Suffering gives birth to great power. In 1 Peter 5, I know there's a lot of verses I'm throwing at you. Bear with me here. Uh, Let's go to eight. Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Overcome, in other words. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. To be honest, church, they're a lot worse. and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, after you have suffered a little while, after you have suffered, how long? A little while. I can do it. I can put up with this. Will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Suffering gives birth to great power. I have a lot to learn about this, I really do. I don't, I don't know what it's like. And we're not, I don't wanna suggest that we run after suffering, we're not. We're not like, you know, the, 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 the kind of people that find this sick joy in being martyred and like, oh, we're not really spiritual unless these things are, that's not what I'm saying at all. We don't chase after suffering, but we endure it. We endure it joyfully. We endure it together. We endure it because we know that it's part of God's plan for his church. We endure it because we know that it refines us. It refines us. It tempers us. You like that language, tempering and refining? It's like a a jar of clay. You know what happens if you try to use a jar of clay that's not gone in the kiln? kind of falls over flat, can't use it, doesn't hold water, you can't put it in the oven. But if you take a jar of clay that has been fired in the kiln 1,200 degrees and has endured that red-hot crucible of testing and has emerged, then it's ready, then it's strong. So we endure it, we embrace it, we say, God, bring it on. If this is part uh, part of the power of Pentecost, we want the power to suffer. We want the power to endure persecution as well. All right, Brian, come on up. I want all of it though, church, I do. I want the whole package. I want the whole Pentecostal package. I want every bit of it. I'm not gonna pick and choose. I'm not gonna take the parts that really fit into my nice little theology that makes sense and looks good. I want all of it. Every bit that the Bible says is for me, I want it. And I want it for you, and I want it for King's Church. Because I believe it is absolutely necessary for the fight ahead. Things are happening in the world. Things are happening in our culture. The battle lines are being drawn, and I'm not suggesting that we go to war, but we're going to a war, and it's a war with weapons of love. And it's not against people, it's not against government, and it's not against laws. It's not the enemy that we're going to war against. It's against the kingdom of darkness. We're invading the kingdom of darkness. We're on missions of sabotage. We're destroying everything we can. Every time we come together and pray, everything we come together and testify and worship and get in the word and lead our kids in the word, we're tearing down the kingdom of darkness a little bit more. The kingdom of darkness is going to push back, and that's okay. We can endure it. Amen. Hey, stand up. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna re- we're gonna worship. I want to get some words of knowledge here for, um, for us. We're gonna move into ministry time. Meg, you want to pull some people together for.